for the past, present, and future of all animals, this is the Zookeeper's Voice with your host, Danny Jirasi. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Zookeeper's Voice. I'm your host, Danny. Today, we have Dylan Damoth, the co-president and director of the Urban Art Conservation, located in Effort, Pennsylvania. The Urban Art Conservation is an organization focused on reptile and amphibian habitat protection and conservation, as well as sustainability and veterans' mental health. So let's jump right into our chat with Dylan Damoth, the co-president and director of the Urban Art Conservation. Today we have Dylan Damoth from the Urban Art Conservation on the Zookeeper's Voice. How are you doing today, Dylan? I'm doing pretty good, Danny. Thanks for having us on. We're pretty small, so any chance to get our message out there is much appreciated. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on the Zookeeper's Voice. So tell us a little bit about the Urban Art Conservation. So we're still really small and young. Uh, we were co-founded by myself and a good friend who's an Army veteran. We, He has a family, and so a little bit limited time. I'm still in graduate school, so I have exceptionally limited time. So we've been building things up slowly, so that way we make sure we're doing things right. Absolutely. Um, we have a broad range of things we're interested in, which we've gradually been fine-tuning, um, but... Largely, we were built on the roots that we're really passionate about uh, herpeticulture and habitat conservation, especially given the amphibian crisis going on and a lot of other not so-called cornerstone species being in the conservation spotlight. Um, so that's something that's near and dear to our heart. And But given that most of the species that are at risk like such aren't domestic, a lot of the opportunities for work like that is all international. And so while we've been building up and making meaningful connections and networking as we can and helping to raise money for ongoing efforts from other organizations, we've also started putting up a facility um, to focus on sustainable agriculture and things like that. And especially given that our one of our co-founders is an army vet, he's been really keen into the research going on for uh, agrotherapy and the benefits it has for uh, veterans returning home and people with um, not necessarily mental disorders, but uh, various degrees of PTSD and things like that awesome. and how it benefits them uh, to reincorporate and assimilate back into society and especially to have peers around them that they can share that camaraderie with to vent uh, while they're doing something that they feel is meaningful. Um, such as the agriculture to grow food for communities and stuff like that. So as we've been putting together our facility, that's something that we've been focusing on and to bring conservation to the facility as well, because some of the species we work with, we're not under the naive conception that one day we'll be able to release them back into the wild from one spread up here uh, because of disease transmission and things like that. It's just not going to happen. So to bring conservation practices to our facility, which is largely currently a um, homestead, we've started focusing on um, species that are listed by the Livestock Conservancy as needing uh, breeding plans and management, um, such as recently we started getting into uh, Arapawa goats, which we've picked up a young buck from the Philadelphia Zoo, 
and we're currently in talks with a couple of other zoological facilities to get some does this year because everybody had bad luck producing does last year. Um, but awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to ask um, a second ago you were talking about the amphibian crisis, and then I believe you said herptofauna. Is that how the, how you say it? Yeah. So for those who are listening who have nothing to do with any kind of animal organization, maybe they're just listening because they're excited to hear and learn more about animals. How do we break that down? What is what is herptofauna and what is the amphibian crisis you're talking about? Right. So herptofauna is largely just reptiles and amphibians, um, typically referred to from their native habitats. Um encompassing both of those large groups of animals. So all frogs, lizards, um, uh, geckos, all of that. And the amphibian crisis um, has been a largely global sweeping issue. Um, There's two main species of uh, fungus that still aren't very clearly understood, but one of them particularly targets salamander species. Uh, and the other one particularly targets frog species. And the one that targets frog species has already made its way into the United States and has had a severe uh, impact on frog populations in North America. Um, The salamander one has not yet made its way into the United States, so far as we know. Um, There have been tests done periodically on incoming imports and things of that nature, but so far... To the best of my knowledge, at least last I've heard, it has not made its way here, um, which is good because North America is the biodiversity hotspot for salamander species. And so if it made its way here, it would be certainly devastating. Um, but these funguses, or fungi rather, they target the skin of amphibians and slowly suffocate them as they increase their um, fungal load. That because sounds it, terrible. Yeah, it's it's not a good situation. Um, it's something that's spread relatively easily because being a fungus, it uh, it can spore, so it can become airborne, though it does prefer being waterborne. So things as simple as walking through an infected puddle into the next lake as you're hiking can spread uh, these issues to small populations. Um, And there are some really great groups that are looking at these issues and trying to figure out ways to manage and eradicate them, Um, such as I know somebody that lives local down here to me. um, He works for Fish and Wildlife, but also is the director for um, a rescue and research center down in Honduras um, that's working on specifically a couple species of critically endangered frog down there to look at and survey um, the prevalence of the issue and how they can get and stay ahead of it. Awesome. So where is this crisis coming from for somebody like me who doesn't really know much about it? Um, what is causing this? From To the best of my knowledge, I haven't followed the research terribly well, but there have been some papers suggesting that a lot of it was at least in part helped spread by the pet trade, um, by shipments coming out largely from Asia, if I remember the conclusions correctly. They helped trace back isoforms um, basically to the Asian mainland and it was basically webbing and spreading from there. And people even going for vacation, in affected areas if you're going on vacation, um, one thing that I hadn't really thought about much um, is like try and do your best if you're going hiking in a rainforest or something like that, if you're not sure if it's an area that's infected, wear a different set of shoes 
Um, so that way, before you leave the rainforest and walk into another area, you can put on a clean pair of shoes um, to help make sure that you're not spreading such issues. That's some awesome uh, advice, especially for those of us who maybe don't think of those things when we go out into, you know, the the wild or an environment we're not normally in. So uh, now I wanted also to ask you about where you where are you guys doing all of this awesome work from? So where are you guys located? So our physical location currently is up in Effort, Pennsylvania, um, where we're in the process of gradually building up the facility. Uh, one thing that is a very key component of what we're currently putting up in the facility is a, a geothermal greenhouse. And one thing that we're working on that for is A, so that way we can grow goods year-round for the animals that we care for. Um, and for also the community, but so that way we can fine tune the design of it, uh, because a structure like such is something that we hope to incorporate in areas of the native ranges of the reptiles and amphibians that we care about to help decrease the agricultural expansion component, um, to help build relationships with the communities and help give them a source of food that's not going to be needing to clear large plots of land um, for them to be able to have access to the food. So, Dylan, can you tell me, how did you get involved in all of this? This is fascinating, and I've, this is a world I have no idea, like, I don't know very much about. So, how did you get involved in this? So, I've never really thought of myself as a keeper, nor really ever necessarily wanted to be one. Like, I've always loved zoos, loved the work that keepers do. Um, but science has always been uh, my calling, like, uh, lab work and things like that. It, but I've always kept reptiles growing up um about seven years ago now um my collection started to shift focus as i learned more about the um necessity for conservation action and as such like a lot of the animals that i care for now are various species that are threatened or worse um i also i do have a personal collection as well but that i breed and also sell but most of that goes to covering the feeders for the animals that I care for for the organization. So it's not much of a net gain there. Um, when we do have any net gain, it basically goes into upgrading enclosures and things like that as well. So in the long run, you, you don't make much money breeding animals. Right. But, but it sounds like you got into this because you've been passionate about it for most of your life. Right. So even though like I do breed certain species to sell to help offset some of the overhead costs of the organization. Largely, our collection has shifted focus such that most of the animals that I'm keeping are on behalf of the organization. And so like, I don't breed those things for money. I would rather see zero profits off those, see them going to facilities that I know will also do well with them and where they can also get more of a public spotlight because some of these species aren't getting any conservation attention, um, especially not from the general public. Most of them have zero clue they exist. Definitely. Yeah, I I feel like me personally as well, when I was a kid, the stuff that I was passionate about started to blend into my professional life as I started to get older. So I can definitely, I, I think it's awesome that you have kind of taken your passion and turned it into a career and making these changes. Now, you mentioned that you had a personal collection. For those who are listening who are interested in keeping any kind of reptiles or amphibians and they may or maybe they are interested in it or already have 
these animals. Is there any advice that you have uh, to not make the problem worse? Do you think that pet ownership affects what you're doing? What What's the full picture even from our homes? So... It depends on the species, honestly. For anybody that's interested in keeping a certain animal or just looking at getting into reptiles and amphibians and keeping one as a pet, I definitely promote finding the literature for the like description of the species. Instead of going off generic care sheets that you can find online, they're a great starting point. But ultimately, looking at the description papers that usually include climate data is a lot better way to familiarize yourself with what said species will need and whether or not you're equipped to provide that. And as far as like the pet ownership in general, uh, for some of the species we care about at, as urban art conservation, it, it certainly does make an impact. Um, one of the groups of species that are near and dear to us are Abronia, which are Central American arboreal alligator lizards, um, which are endemic to Guatemala and Mexico. And they have recently, the entire genus is um, listed on the CITES Treaty. The species that are endemic to Guatemala are listed under Appendix 1, so there's no international trade permitted. Um, the rest of the species were all clumped up and listed as Appendix 2. Um, but Mexico and Guatemala are still not um, issuing permits for export. And But there's still a species that you can see wild-caught specimens popping up across trade shows or in trade shows across the country. And so for a species like that, that if you, even when you, if you're at a trade show and you see something that really catches your eye, I always strongly urge people not to make that impulse buy, um, figure out what it is, go home, research, um, find out everything you can about the animal and then hope it's there and available again. Um, or in the case of like the Abronia, if you see one at a show, Nine times out of ten, it's likely wild-caught. Um, there are ways that sellers will bounce around the question um, to defer acknowledging that it might be. I'm like, oh, I got it. It was labeled as a captive bred, but it, they know it's not. For people that are interested in things like that, just do the research up front. Don't go to a trade show and make an impulse buy. Don't go to a pet store and make an impulse buy. Um, yes, sometimes you see things that are in sad condition. You Oh, I want to save it. You're not doing any favors by bringing it home when you don't know how to care for it properly. Absolutely. I think that's so important in terms of responsible pet ownership and making sure that, you know, the future of these animals is very good and that we're not doing harm to any of them. So, Right. Now, tell us, with the urban art conservation, what does a day look like for you normally? So my, I always stretch myself far too thin. Um, of course. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, I'm also still in graduate school um, and I'm working on my PhD in developmental neuroscience. So my wow. day to day <laughs> is a couple times a week. I wake up um, super early when the lights go on for the reptiles because I have them all on automated timers um, and I'll make my feeding rounds and gradually shove coffee into my body <laughs> and, and then I'll go into the lab. Um, usually, um, uh, depending on what experiments I'm running for the day, um, I can be there anywhere from four or five hours to 10 hours. So that's why I, typically I always try and get the feedings done in the morning. So that way, if I'm not going to be home until after the lights are off, the animals still have all day to eat. Right. Um, and then in my downtime during experiments while I'm waiting for either things to thaw or incubate and whatnot, 
I will um, go through and try and schedule uh, social media posts and stuff like that um, and try and figure out ways. Uh, like the last week, I've been looking through uh, grants.gov to figure out things that we can apply for um, and stuff like that. It's very scattered and intermittent work throughout the day um, for the organization um, just because of limited time. But I do try and block myself off time daily to keep pushing us forward. Definitely. And it sounds like it's a big undertaking, but that you're doing very well. I would like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the greatest challenge for your organization? Do you feel it sounds like um, there's a lot that needs to go on, but what do you feel like is the greatest challenge for you? And how do you, how do you face that head on? So I feel like the, there's a couple pretty big challenges. One of them being, um, since I myself am part of like the private sector and also keeping on behalf of our organization, um, I do network with a lot of people that keep some of the same species that we care about. Um, and I have helped a number of people figure out how best to keep animals they've already gotten. Um, but I also am the type of person that I'm pretty blunt and I have no problem calling out when I see an animal that's been blatantly trafficked. Um, so kind of, fine-tuning the balance between those two um, has been a learning curve uh, for me. Um, And additionally, uh, social media reach, the way that Facebook and Instagram and stuff have changed their algorithms, uh, growing an organic audience that's more meaningful um, followers uh, has been kind of a drag lately. Uh, So we have been putting some money into uh, targeted ads and things like that, which has helped. But We've been trying not to put much money into that, so that way the growth that we are getting is as organic and meaningful as possible, but it doesn't always work as quickly as we'd like it to. And then I'd say thirdly, um, the biggest struggle we have currently um, is probably, like many other small organizations, um, simply funding. Um, Right now we are going pretty much 100% off donations, um, but once we do get more of the facility up and running, and have the greenhouses up. Um, we do have a couple of um, slots that we have um, putatively filled for people that will be basically paying out the greenhouse space for us to gross crops for them as well for their businesses. Um, so the way we've modeled that is more so so that eventually we at least that portion of everything will be 100% self-sustaining um, and help so that way all of what we are currently putting towards overhead costs can go directly towards meaningful and impactful um, conservation actions. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to uh, pause you right there. Can you tell us right now where you can donate to be able to help your organization out? Um, so we do have the donate button on our Facebook page, which is just Facebook backslash uh, Urban Art Conservation. Um, we do have the donate button scattered uh, throughout our website as well, which I am in the process of overhauling. So it will change a bit in the next couple of weeks, um, but that is also urbanartconservation.org. Um, awesome. Or, or directly, we also have um, PayPal set up, and that is sponsor at urbanartconservation.org. Awesome. Well, let's see. I've got a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. One thing that I want the uh, people who are listening to hear about is where would you like to see your organization here in the near and then... Um, in the future? What are the goals for the urban art conservation? So currently, um, we are trying to um, 
fine tune and plan out, um, being able to um, st- kick off some conservation actions, hopefully in Mexico and the ranges of Abronia. Um, one of our goals is to obtain tracts of land that we can delegate as sanctuary and hopefully erect some facilities where we can get some in situ breeding going on. Um, so that way we can uh, rear up offspring and release them. There are similar efforts in Guatemala right now that are, um, there's a few zoos that help fund that, um, and as well as the International Reptile Conservation Fund. Um, and that is an effort that we typically, we do a fundraiser for annually to help support that since we don't have the means to get the land ourselves yet to start doing the same thing. Um, so that would be, that's one big thing that I would like to see happen within the next, hopefully, three years um, is getting that kick started. Um, as well as right now, the facility we're putting up in Pennsylvania is going to maintain largely for the livestock and homestead ac- aspect and sustainability. Um, once me and my better half actually settle down somewhere um, after she finishes up with vet school, I will be putting up a satellite facility that'll be primarily for um, the reptiles and amphibians. Um, and then once we do have these facilities more polished up, we will be offering uh, workshops um, for sustainability and things like that for people to come. But we largely will probably keep it restricted to not have public access, except for these few special events throughout the year. Um, but I think those would be two big things that I would like to see happen over the next three or so years. Awesome. Now, I know that you touched on the fact that um, your roots came from a veteran. And I wanted to make sure that our listeners heard some examples of activities that the veterans with PTSD are able to take part in. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So as we are getting things up and running, um, being co-founded by um, an Army veteran, we do fully acknowledge um, and recognize the mental health support that a lot of veterans may need. Um, even if it just comes from venting with peers. And so as things get further pushed along for our organization, we will be offering uh, basically a place where veterans can come to work in agri-therapy, to work um, in agriculture, taking care of some of the livestock, um, things like that. We're getting to the point where we're planning out hopefully being able to offer housing for them while they're doing so. Um, So that way it would be kind of like a a small camp to come back Um, stay as long or as short as you feel like you need to um, and get that support that you need while there. Um, There's something that we are still in the planning phase of, so it's not something we can actively offer yet, but it is something that we are hoping to have up and running uh, very soon. That's so awesome. I can't wait to hear about that in in the future when you guys have that up and running. So for those who are local to urban art conservation, is there anything that they can do to help volunteer? And if so, how would they find out about that? Um, so we do actually, we do have some fellow local farmers that have um, donated uh, various materials and some animals as well. Um, but local people that might want to get involved, we're hoping that once the ground is not a terrible mushy muss up at the facility that hopefully in early summer we're going to host um just kind of a get together for local people to give them a better feel for who we are um how they can help and stuff like that so we will be putting out notifications on our page and on the website 
Um, we also have a subscription box on the website as well, so you can subscribe to newsletters. Uh, so once we have all of that organized and set up, we will be aiming to send out a newsletter with that information as well. Awesome. Now, as we wrap up, can you tell our listeners how they can support the um, urban art conservation and where they can follow along with everything happening so that after, they, after they're done listening to this interview, they can go and follow you? Uh, so we are on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, though I don't pay much attention to Twitter myself. So I have that kind of auto posting from when we post on Instagram. Um, so on all three of those platforms, we are our handle is Urban Art Conservation, with the exception of Twitter, because that was too long. Um, so, so that <laughs> one is um, Urban Art uh, Cons, um, with underscores in between each word. Awesome. Well, Dylan, we wanted to thank you for coming on the Zookeeper's Voice today. Thank you for having us. Um, like I mentioned, we're small, so any word to get our reach out and get our message out is vastly appreciated. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to catching up with you further on down the road. Definitely. would love to. Awesome. Thanks again, Dylan. You're welcome. Wow. I learned so many new things today. It's unbelievable the kind of scientific goings on that happen in this world that we have no idea about. Because when Dylan was talking about the amphibian stuff, I had no idea about any of that stuff. But it was really, really interesting to hear. And it sounds so complex to me. Like, I feel like he barely scratched the surface for us and yeah. all the things that he is involved in. And when urban arc conservation uh, grows a little bit more and, and you know becomes this mass organization that I think it is going to become. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to him again. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the um I think something that's really unique that he's doing is working for veterans that, mental health. That jumped out at me big time because I have a lot of I have a lot of friends that have served in the military that are having a tough time. And, you know, I, I know a lot of older folks that are having a tough time. And you hear about um, these organizations going into nursing homes or going into elder folks' homes and bringing, like, dogs in and to, to kind of, like, cuddle with the, with the people. And, like, yeah. you, you know, the animals that are sort of, like, helping them along with their, with their mental health. I think that's really cool. And what Dylan is doing with the veterans is pretty amazing. And he said he was teaming up. I, I'm assuming the other co-president uh, yeah. is all, is a veteran. I believe so. So that's that's really, really cool. And those guys are giving back to the community in that way. Yeah. And I think that in uh, today's day and age that people are starting to focus more on mental health and not be afraid to reach out and not be afraid to um, say, you know what, I need this. And I think that having a place like urban art conservation is going to be incredible for people who really need that definitely yeah and another thing that just going off of what you said you're right people do have therapy dogs and therapy cats and therapy bunnies and therapy other yeah. animals i'm all for helping veterans in any way yeah but a lot of them have the a lot of people focus on like the fuzzy cute furry fluffy animals yeah that's a good point and I think it's so cool that he's that they're doing reptiles and amphibians yeah. and that they're focused on that and mental health because I think that's such a unique take, but also so important from all the aspects that they're coming from. So I just really, really enjoyed talking to Dylan today. For sure. For sure. 
For those of you who are listening today, make sure you give a follow to the Urban Art Conservation and all of their social media. And also, if you'd like to, go ahead and check out their website, see what they've got going on. And that was urbanarcconservation.org. So... Aside from that, do you have anything to add, Bill? No, I think we're uh, I think we're good here. Looking forward to our next interview coming in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Please rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. And be sure to stay up to date with all the happenings here at The Zookeeper's Voice on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and thezookeepersvoice.com. For the past present and future of all animals this has been the zookeeper's voice we'll see you next time